welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter, who's a happy man today because his San Diego Padres have advanced, have survived and advanced, and will play the Dodgers in the best of five series <laughs> this week. Woo, let's go, Padres. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Made my weekend. Yep. So, that's the good news on Kyle's end. The frustrating news on our end, Cardinal fans, was this. 20 to 17 game loss at home uh, amidst hordes of Philadelphia Eagle fans. If you check out Revenge of the Birds where I'm posting this, I have a little clip of <laughs> what the scene looked like um, with the Eagles fans at the end of the game. Um, that is adds such more frustration to what what is now an eight game Cardinal losing streak at home, which seems unbelievable, um, absolutely unbelievable, um, to the point where, you know, out of frustration, I tweeted last night um, that, you know, the Cardinals have lost now a whole season worth of home games in a row to the delight of the hordes of other teams screening, screaming fans, while the team owner gives lucrative five-year contract extensions to the GM, head coach, and quarterback at $47.5 million a year, while QB and O-line skip OTAs and coaches don't game prep. Um, this has been a pattern that I'm going to talk about in detail today. Um, let's talk about these eight games, okay? This is an interesting fact. Went back and charted. Um, the first quarter play of the Cardinals offense it, over the span of the eight games. This is an interesting fact that on um, November 4th last year, the Carolina Panthers scored more points in the first quarter at 17 than the Cardinals have scored offensive points in the last eight home games, which is amounts to 16 points. Unbelievable. And five of those games shut out in the first first quarter. Um, the Green Bay game, they had a 7-0 lead. After that, the Green Bay offense took over. They had no points against Carolina. In the Rams game last year at home, they had a 3-0 lead and watched that disappear. Um, gave up 30 points in that game. And then they, at on Christmas against the Colts, they had a six to um, the score was six to seven Colts after the first quarter. From then on, Ofer against Seattle in the last game, although Zach Allen scored a defensive touchdown, which we hoped would set the tone, but it did not. Um, so it ended up seven seven um, at the half, but zero offensive points. Um, zero to fourteen in the first quarter against the, with the Chiefs. 0 to 10 in the first quarter versus the Rams, 0 to 7 um, in the first quarter against the Eagles for a combined score of 16 to 62. 
Um, and what's most disturbing about these trends is um, what Jason Lacomfora uh, wrote about where he quoted an NFC scout who said that the Cardinals have an arrogance of just doing what they do, um, you know, and uh, not much of anything else. Um, and that's been such a problem. I mean, it, to the point of, I mean, I don't know what you were thinking during the first quarter of yesterday's game, but, you know, I mean, look at the first several play calls in this football game. I mean, it's just unbelievable and unthinkable to think that they're still trying. I mean, I tweeted this out at the end of the first quarter. Crawl ball again in Arizona. Kyler Murray's first four passes, two behind the line of scrimmage, one three-yard pass, and one chuck out of bounds. The insanity of the four-yard backward passes to Rondale Moore continues. And, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but this has got to stop. And, you know, I mean, it's like so passive-aggressive and repetitive, and it never works. How about, again, throwing that fade pass out of bounds to A.J. Green? They're trying it every game to the same result. And not doing anything about it. To Green's credit and Kyler's, they connected on some good passes later in the game. But how about coming out with a different plan? How about actually game planning for your opponent to know where they're weak, to know how to exploit their weaknesses? How about checking out pre-snap, as I also put a clip on the at the Revenge of the Birds article with this podcast, of taking what the defense gives you. Um, you know, that in the second possession, so now after I tweet that, Kyler throws the interception over the middle, deep middle, which if you look at the at the, how the Eagles played that, that snap, on the pre-snap, I mean, their corners were way backed off. Like they had major cushion with a, with a single safety playing center field, calling a post pass with that alignment. It's just foolishness. It's just a giveaway. It's just an absolute gift. I mean, take what they give you. I mean, it's like the same thing last game. I mean, they're throwing to, to AJ green with tight, with tight coverage. And on the other side, they're giving, uh, you know, Marquise Brown, 10-yard cushion. I mean, who are you going to throw to? I mean, it's not that hard to figure out, you know, to take a look pre-snap at what teams are giving you. It's really not. And the Cardinals just, are like like the, the scout said in the La Confora article, Cardinals are just going to do what they do. They're just going to, you know, keep doing this. And, it's you know, like I said, it's got to stop, and um, it, it's a it's a troublesome pattern. I mean, another fact about this season is, at no time in the first half of these five games have the Cardinals had a lead, and you know the only time in regulation they've had a lead was last week against the Panthers. So, 
um, in the second half. So, you know, these trends are troubling and it's just shocking that, and then just the, just the, you know, looking flat as a three days soda can that's been left on a table. I mean, flatter than flat. And that's the thing too, is about the defense is that, you know, how do you come into a game against the Eagles? How does a defensive staff come into this game against the Eagles and decide, okay, we're going to play soft zone against A.J. Brown. And when we play man, we're going to play him with Marco Wilson giving 10-yard cushion. What in the world is going on in practice during the week? And in the preparations, it's it's almost as if, you know, like Vance Joseph and the defensive coaches don't want, they just want to go into the game, throw up that soft zone, and then turn to each other and go, hey, you know, that number 11 is pretty good. Why don't we make an adjustment and put um, Byron Murphy on him? Oh, great. Well, now you're already down 7 nothing, or and close and getting to 14 nothing. And now you're you're digging a hole. And the Cardinals lost this game in the first and fourth quarters. I mean, you can't continue to keep digging yourself a hole and giving up, you know, seven points right off the bat to a team in easy fashion where they just march down the field and you're just giving them um, easy throws and catches, guys wide open. I mean, the uh, the thing about Vance Joseph is defense, and he does make adjustments, so – I mean, that's a good thing. And by the time the fourth quarter comes, he's got sort of has it figured out coverage wise, except that, you know, that the conversion they had to Goddard. I mean, Goddard was a was a huge factor in this game. And they did not have a good plan for Goddard, Goddard at all in this game. That was really troubling. Um and but along the way, here are the things that we know the Cardinals need to correct with within Vance's schemes. Is it gives up contain way too often? I mean, there's not a really concerted effort to play contain. And how about the screen games? I mean, every week, it, it all. I'm just wondering during the game. I'm just saying to myself, why do teams not throw the screens every play? I mean, the only guy who made a play all day was was uh, Byron Murphy. The rest, I mean, chunk yard screen plays left and right. And then you flip it over to the Cardinals side. Cardinals can't run a screen just f- for anything, yet they keep running them. I mean, only one all day worked. With the Eagles, only one didn't work. I mean, that's a difference in the game right there. So why don't you have a plan to bust up these screens? Why don't you know how to take it on? I mean, you've got two really great safeties to help do it. I mean, you got other guys to do it. You also have to read it well with your edge people. And um, we'll, we'll talk about the edge because the Cardinals, you know, that conversion play at the end and that last drive by the Eagles to Goddard on the third down, I just wish they had kept Isaiah on Goddard had rushed Gardick instead, although Isaiah did get held on his brush. I mean, there's no question about that. Just agonizing 
that the, that wasn't called for the, you know, it was clearly, you know, the guy was grabbing his chest, you know, right in, in his numbers as, as uh, Isaiah was making it towards uh, uh, Jalen Hurts. Um, but they just, the coverage on Goddard was just poor. And guys are standing right there. Like Gardick was was there, but not playing him. And um, wow, that was a huge play. It was rem- reminiscent. That whole fourth quarter was reminiscent of the Ram game. Remember when uh, Stafford spun out of a near sack by Collins and and zinged down a conversion to um, Cooper Cup? And then, you know, the same pattern here is with Vance, and they've got to figure this out is, the Eagles knew. See how prepared the Eagles were in this game. They knew. They had a plan all along. It, you know, with a close game in the fourth quarter, we're going to run it down their throats just the way the Rams did. And we're going to win this game doing that. And they did. They ran it down the Cardinals' throats in that last drive, taking away 30, 40 seconds off the clock on every play. It's just agonizing. And this has been a pattern. I mean, you can say, yeah, well, you know, and it, it's great that that the defense only gave up once they gave up the 14, they only gave up six after that. And that's awesome. It is great. But, you know, the timing of giving up a long drive there at the end of games and holding them to the field goal, which was great, and it's too bad that uh, they they couldn't get their hands on that that. Um, risky pass that hurts through into the end zone to Watkins, and unfortunately Jalen Thompson was got the wind knocked out of him on that play, and that was a huge development because finally the Cardinals had kept all their timeouts and had used them perfectly, and then had to burn that third timeout there, um, <clears throat> which was unfortunate because obviously later it cost them not having that timeout and. You know, but uh, but that's been a pattern. I mean, the Rams did a lot of them. Look at how Green Bay did that to the Cardinals when they played last year. Um, these long, you know, five yard a play pop, five six yards, seven yards a play. You know, moving the ball down the field, and oh man, it's agonizing. You know, taking up like nine minutes of clock. Um, and now teams are doing it in the first half too, and. You know, it's frustrating the offense and getting in a hole, and the offense comes back antsy. And you know, but <clears throat> to uh, Kyler's credit and Cliff's credit and the offense's credit, they got some things going. Um, they they answered the wake up call in the second quarter this this time, which is you know better than some of the other games that we saw that were the, these first half. First quarter doldrums continued and well into the second quarter, the Cardinals did start um, playing better football and uh, making plays. And, um, but it was better play selection, you know, the, and then in the second half, I mean, that and the, the touchdown actually, excuse me, to uh, Marquise Brown in the first half was awesome. The play design, as I tweeted out, was outstanding. Because they stacked Brown off of um, James Conner, who they were using as a wide receiver in this game, or sp- splitting him out wide, so that Brown could get a free release. 
And then he made, you know, he, he made a quick move to get open. Tyler dropped a dime on him. And then, uh, you know, in a crowd, he, you know, he almost knocked to the turf, kept his bounce, um, and then shaked and baked through that secondary for a touchdown. That was just awesome. And, um, you know, Brown's been an inspiration and, and uh, I, I, you know, he is, he's played, he's brought his A game. The one frustrating thing was the, you know, I think it was the only pass he's dropped all year on that slant. I mean, there was clear sail. If he catches and runs on that play, I think that's a TD. Um, oh, so frustrating. It's just little things. And this is what happens when you dig yourself a hole is that plays like this, if you don't capitalize them, or can cost you. And unfortunately, in this game, in a 2017 loss, uh, the the missed opportunities are something you look back on and go, oh, wow. Like also, um, when when Kyler made the good drive towards the end of the second half um, and got down to the, you know, in the red zone and to like the three-yard line, he had two passing plays on the, on the you know, uh, pass interference. He had two passing plays to throw into the end zone. The first one was unfortunate because, and he'll he'll kick himself when he sees the tape. Um, AJ Green, you know, I thought, wow, AJ Green ran the crosser this week, not not Zertz, not Zach Ertz, and he was wide, wide open on it, wide open. And instead, to try to fade pass which I'm not a fan of to smaller wide receivers. I don't know about you to Rondale Moore. And I think, you know, forcing the ball to Moore in this game hurt some because I really want to get him going, but they did get him going later in the game and passed to him in a conventional, more conventional way, which was great. And he made some plays and, you know, hopefully now they can build off some momentum where that's concerned. But unfortunately, and then on the second play, I didn't even throw it into the end zone. Ertz was doing an out pass at the one-yard line. I have no idea why. And threw it there out of bounds. You know, I had to settle for the field goal <clears throat> instead. And I mean, I was happy they at least got the points there um, instead of going for it on fourth down because I've, I feared if they didn't make it with the Eagles getting the ball first in the second half, that would have been demoralizing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, taking the points there um, was a good thing, I believe. And unfortunately, there wasn't, you know, good execution, you know, on those two plays. Or And, and I think play calls were not good. Last week against the week before against the Panthers, the play calls were outstanding and they ex- executed them perfectly. So they have to continue to, to build off that and, They've got good options down there. So it hurt again not having another timeout um, right in that situation because you could have tried to pound it in with uh, Connor. I mean, James Connor said this the first week. I said it all last year. You love his toughness. And, you know, he was really getting on track in the second half. But the upright running style is going to continue to cost him. In the kind of injuries that he's incurring because he doesn't protect the ball and he doesn't protect his legs. And as a result, you know, he's going to get leg injuries as he's been getting. And then this time also when you're running erect, 
and you get taken down to the ground f- from high, up high, it's a, the impact is a lot stronger than if, if you lower your shoulder and they take you to the ground, you can roll right into the, into the ground, and it's not, not a slam impact the way it was with Connor. And unfortunately, he, you know, land on high impact, landed on you know, with the corner of the ball and his ribs. Um, and then had to go uh, get evaluated, and I think he's got a rib injury. It's unfortunate. Um, he had one last year, too. I mean, when you expose your ribs like this, it's not a, that's another thing that's not good. Um, and I don't know, it's sort of like the Cardinals themselves. You just wonder if they're just not going to change, you know, adapt and change and do what's best. Um, meanwhile, um, Eno Benjamin again, continues to impress. He had that 11-yard touchdown run, which was fantastic. Um, you know, he's given the, the team a real boost, and I think, you know, if, if Connor's not ready to go next week, and now we have, you know, we started with five running backs, and now we're down to maybe two with healthy ones, with Eno and um, Keontae Ingram, who was not active yesterday. I mean, Darrell Williams got hurt. Speaking of Williams, the fake punt was ballsy and great. I mean, uh, Coach Rogers knows when to dial, though. He has great sense of timing on those plays. That was a huge conversion on that. At that moment of the game, faked everyone out, including the, the cameraman. Um, but, uh, you know, in the rushing, Rondell Moore, two rushes for minus seven yards, just... Oh, it just galls you. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> I mean, unlike the Cardinals, I mean, these plays work for the Cardinals because they don't contain in practice. But, you know, Sweat was sitting right in. I mean, against, you know, well-coached defensive teams that contain those, you know, gadget plays to a guy like Rondell Moore have been prepped for. They knew those good plays were coming, and they had them. We're sitting right in it. This is why, you know, a week of preparation plus, you know, they they showed the the Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator one time and said when they spoke to him, said he was game planning for Kyler Murray back in the summer, uh, knowing that they were going to have to play Murray in this game. Imagine how Murray played right into their hands. I mean, how relieved their defensive coaches must have been to know that Murray was not interested in running in this game, even though the stats he's well aware of when he runs the ball six or seven times or more, the odds of the Cardinals winning are astronomically greater. And yet, you know, Kyler didn't choose to run until the fourth quarter and he ran four times for 42 yards. The last one being the, more, most faithful one where he slid too early. Um, I mean, I would have loved to do a face first baseball dive um, to make sure you're over the line because um, then it's leading with the ball. Um, or, you know, he could have bounced outside and tried to um, run out of bounds in that situation. But, uh, you know, there's this these game end weird freaky things that are happening to the Cardinals and you know part of its fate I mean on this occasion with the scoreboard saying first and ten and Kyler and his ear hearing um, you know 
uh, time, time, clock, clock, clock. So, you know, in that, that sense, you can't blame him for thinking that he had the first down. But, you know, oftentimes these game end weird stuff that happens are a result of less than proper preparation. And I, we're still not at a point with with our offense where they run really efficient game um, managed uh, late game drives. I mean, they're good at it, but they some of the plays are giveaways for clock, which you can't have. Like it makes no sense to get a four yard pass to a tight end over the middle in those situations. None. You know, feeding into the defense's hand, and at that point in the game, you have to argue to yourself, "What's your greater enemy? You know, the Eagles or the clock?" And you know, both, but the clock is of paramount importance, and you have to find a way to to navigate that better. I mean, the Chiefs go study the Chiefs. I mean, they. How about that Bills game? I mean, you know, what did they go two plays in, you know, 75 13 yards? Seconds. Did, 13 seconds. Did you seconds. see the Sunday night game yesterday where the Ravens had two minutes and three timeouts to get into field goal range and it only took Lamar one minute and zero timeouts to get into field goal range? Yeah, that was awesome. And what did Lamar do? Take the ball into his own hands. Lamar is a baller. And, uh, yep, great example. And, you know, this is something that Kyler, that Kyler will continue to pr- improve um, and, and play it a little keener and smarter. But it's good to see him running and taking c- command. It's just the whole way to describe all this game was too little, too late, literally and figuratively. And, um, you know, you want to see this. How about coming out in the game like this? How about coming out with some urgency and some passion? You've lost seven home games in a row. You would think it was would be there. It was not there. It was glaringly not there from the offense and glaringly not there for the defense in the first quarter. I mean, it was as if they didn't even know who they were playing against. And this is my frustration, and that's why I've been asking, are these coaches incorrigible? Is Kyler Murray incorrigible? Because when this happens with this sort of repetition, and redundancy and the same old, same old mistakes and the same old, same old approach with the same old, same old plays, set of plays that don't work against anybody because guess what? Everybody else had it figured out eight games ago of what you're trying to do. You have to write a new script. That's what off seasons are for. That's why you go to fricking OTAs. That's why you practice together as a team. That's why you galvanize together to come up with a plan as to how you're going to take on this schedule and take on these teams and have a diversified plan instead of this Mickey Mouse, rinky-dink, sandlot, dink-and-dunk, crawl ball approach to starting football games. And it's so galling and so redundant that the point now it's just total total, totally annoying. I mean... And it's just self-inflicted, you know, um, doldrums game after game. And, you know, what are they doing during the week? Giving guys a lot of days off in practice. You know, practice doesn't seem to matter that much in this organization. And, um, you know, 
so frustrating. Well, would but, you like uh, one more stat that I found over the weekend that took me back a little bit? Is that, go ahead. Uh, through five games, uh, would you like to know some of the quarterbacks who have uh, further yards per pass attempt than Kyler Murray so far this season? Oh, boy. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the list includes and is not limited to Daniel Jones, yeah. Davis Mills, Baker Mayfield, and Carson Wentz. Kyler Murray is tied for 30th in the NFL in yards per attempt. He is tied with the New York Jets former starter, Joe Flacco. And let me ask you this. Where is Kyler on the, um, uh, the, the, uh, on the salary scale of NFL quarterbacks? Uh, Well, not for this year, but in terms of average annual value, he would be fifth in the NFL. Oh, isn't he second? Well, he's second if it, it's counting the it's an extension, so it's counting the two years where he's like on the fifth year option and still on his rookie contract. But right. yes, the the new contract he signed would be only behind, I believe, Watson and Rogers. Right. So third. Right. So, uh, and people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, he doesn't have Hopkins. He's got Marquise Brown. He's got Rondale Moore now." And he also has a guy named Greg Dortch, who's, you know, and I wrote an article on Revenge of the Birds last week after they, you know, they're starting Isabella Dortch now, giving the Isabella treatment. Why? This guy's a playmaker and a half. How about instead of doing the dinky dunk, you know, um, four yard loss, you know, backward pass to, you know, Rondell Moore, how about you hit Dortch out of the slot? And have a nice little gainer downfield with a rack, with the kind of racks that he he puts in there. Now he's been routinely written out of the dink and dunk crawl ball uh, approach, and and la- even later in the game, I don't even remember him being on the field practically. I don't even think he got a single target. I didn't, not to my recollection. Um, you know, like I said, AJ Green made some contributions in the in the second half, which was a good thing to see. Um, you know, Brown had another really good game. Uh, the one drop was costly, unfortunately, that, you know, because of the timing of that. But, you know, he made a number of stellar plays and was a huge factor in the game. I mean, they got Rondale Moore going like they could have from the beginning of the game later in the game. So that was a positive sign. Ertz had his moments. How about the air ball, air, you know, the, you know, floating, sailing the ball over Ertz's head wide open on that play was so frustrating. But here's where, you know, when you dig yourself holes, those plays become all the more magnified where you can't get over the hump. I mean, if you had this with a lead, you could, you know, and then, convert anyway that's another another thing but you know digging yourself a hole means you have to be as precise and perfect as possible and you know as we could as we've seen the cardinals have been able to climb out of holes twice once in overtime once in regulation and three times uh well the chiefs game wasn't even close but so one was a run away from the start but then the other two games 
you know, the Cardinals couldn't get back over the hump, and that's what happens when you dig yourself a hole, particularly at home. So the Cardinals are two and zero on the road, and they're zero and three at home. How about that? That made me would wonder. like to also confirm Greg Dortch zero targets, zero catches, zero Correct. yards in the game. Yeah, I exactly. I was just wondering, you know, how about shaking things up? I can't recall ever winning with that those black uniforms with white um, numbers. Um, you know, I mean, how about going with something that works? Maybe you, they ought to, you know, play the home games in white. Seriously. I mean, they, they have their play their best football in white. Cardinals in the old days, you know, for those of us who've been around, like since 61 and my friend Pat, uh, Laguna Pat, some of us who've been around for a while, Dwayne Wisner, he'll know this. Um, you know, the Cardinals used to, at Bush Stadium, love wearing white like the Cowboys did at home. Um, they had some years there where they preferred to play in white. How about do an all-white, you know, color rush? Uh, you know, I love the black helmets, don't get me wrong. I don't want them as our regular helmet, but as an alternate helmet, it's cool. But I... I'd like a different color combination with those. I think they'd be those black helmets would be stunning with brilliant red jerseys, or even going, you know, like the Bengals did with the whole white thing is having those black helmets with a white out, um, you know, white on white, white with the red letters and you know, highlight the red. Um, but you know, it's just uniforms. I, but it, I. <laughs> I th we all think about it a lot, and as Michael Bidwell has told us, stay tuned for new uniforms. Okay, all right, so we will. Um, yeah, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, um, like I said, Vance Joseph made good adjustments. Again, it was kind of too little too late um, in certain respects with that. I'm not convinced he's got the right personnel going. I don't understand why he doesn't rush Dennis Gardner. He's the only edge player with a sack, to my knowledge. I mean, Zach Allen continues to play inspired football, you know, from his spot. J.J. Watt, too, combined on a sack um, with Buda Baker. Um, that was awesome. Great timing. They had two sacks on the game. Allen had one, and it, J.J. and Buddha combined for the other. We're not getting edge rush from Golden or Kennard. And you've got some younger guys who could fit. But Gardeck, it's our speed rusher. And it's just mind-boggling to me why Joseph refuses to rush him off the edge. He's, you know, he brings the, the best speed off the edge of anyone um, and um, that we have on this roster. I'd love to see my Jay Sanders get his shot. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if once they put him in there, they'll be like, oh, wow, we're, you know, we should have been doing this all along. I mean, it can't be worse than what we're seeing from the edges. Um, something's wrong with Marcus Golden with his toe or whatever. He does not look like the same player. Um, and Kennard's never been a prolific pass rusher. He's good against the run and, you know, we'd like an infusion of youth there. But, I mean, the the wonderful, the best news personnel-wise was Isaiah Simmons having his most productive day as a pro, leading the team with 13 tackles. 
he was all over the field. That was great to see. I thought that um, one thing I'm looking at when I'm watching Zayvon Collins is I think he's got to take on blocks more strongly. Um, he just kind of sags a little. I, I think he should meet him, meet, stack, and, and you know, shred. And shed, excuse me, meat stack shed better than what he's doing. He can he can bring that. Um, he he can improve on that end. Um, you know, with uh, and then Byron Murphy's playing his really great football. He has been, and then when they moved him over to Brown, suddenly Brown wasn't making big plays anymore, or making easy plays. So that was big. Um, like to see stronger run support from the other side. I don't know if Marco Wilson will ever be that guy. I don't know if he'll ever be a screen buster. He just doesn't seem to have the, the instincts or the desire to really, you know, throw his weight around there. Um, you need ballers to do that. I'm not, you know, in certain respects in coverage, he dogs some people, but these days it's with too much cushion. It's just... It's just not clicking, and hopefully, you know, Antonio Hamilton can, re you know, um, reclaim that that side of the field, um, or Trayvon Mullen when he gets back. Um, dang, injured right away. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Um, but we're going to need it, you know, for particularly the Seahawks, who, uh, you know, we'll talk about them in a minute, but who have a prolific passing game right now, best in the West. Um, so that might be a surprise to some, but, you know, <laughs> if we we're, we live in the NFC West. Their receivers are dang good, and we know it. So, um, But uh, up front, we really need Richard Lawrence to come back sooner rather than later. These late game, you know, ran it, run it down your throats, um, plays. We need better run blitzes in those situations. We need better play up front um, all around. Um, during the regular, you know, first three quarters, I thought they did a really good job on Miles Sanders. I was on the Philly, Philadelphia podcast, Eagles podcast, was invited to talk to John Stolness. Um, I posted it on Twitter. That was fun to meet with him again. Um, and he asked me what I, what was the number one key of attacking the the Philadelphia offense, and I said Miles Sanders. I mean, when he gets going, they're with what they can do with the other people. Um, they're pretty tough to beat, and I thought the Cardinals did a good job on Sanders for most of the game, but then uh, you know, towards the end, they were getting Gainwell in there. He was getting chunk yards on on run plays and. You know, oh man, it was so frustrating. Um, and they had him pinned back, and that you know the conversion to Goddard was, in many ways, I think probably the play of the game. Um, unfortunately, uh, that extended their drive and the, took the clock out, made it you know do or die for the Cardinals at the end. Um, Lucky Foto was splashing on a couple plays. That was really good. Ledbetter made a tackle. Kyle's uh, um, second cousin. Um, that was a really good play in the game. Um, you know, there's some 
some good things going on up front, but we really need a stud nose tackle. I mean, Rashard Lawrence is the best one we have, and he's he's been doing pretty well. I mean, those guys show up and make you know tackles for loss. That's what we need. We need penetration up front, not a lot of sitting around, just you know, really getting after it, being more aggressive. Uh, so, but um, yeah, I mean, the safeties. I mean, too bad that Jalen couldn't haul in that interception. He made a great play. Um, that's how you read that play. That's how you double back. That's what you're supposed to do in a zone. That was a really encouraging sign. Unfortunately, it was just just a little bit, you know, wobbly on the ground uh, enough for them to reverse the call. Um, so, but uh, and Buddha threw himself around in this game. As always, uh, I was hoping Buddha would get get to those screens faster because um, we need him for that. Those so same thing with Jalen is you know the, they've got to be heat seeking missiles on those plays. You got to get to screens early, other than you know, and if you don't, we get what we've seen. I mean, the Eagles studied the the game tape from the Rams perfectly. They had it down. I remember the the Rams' screenplays. They were just gashing the Cardinals with that with Higby and with Shronik. Um, Shronik. Uh, there you go. I mean, it, it's not difficult to understand what people are seeing on tape that you have to correct. And I'm just not thinking, not seeing, we're not seeing enough correction. Um, and I'm really sick and tired of hearing like the defense has no one. What you got JJ Watt, you got an inspired Zach Allen. Okay, you got two, you had the Ben Derrick winner, the best college defensive football player in 2020 in, in Isaiah Simmons. You got Byron Murphy who everyone thought would be a first-round pick, and now he's playing like it. you got pieces here. you got Dennis Gardeck, who's a barbarian out there, who can rush the edge, but they don't even rush him on the edge uh, often enough, which they should do. I mean, you got pieces there, I mean, and, and a lot of draft capital. I mean, Jalen Thompson, he's a potential pro bowler. I mean, Buda Baker. It's been to the Pro Bowl, what, three years in a row? And three out of five is five years. Once as a special teamer. I mean, this is not some rinky-dink, patched-together quilt of average football players. There's star power here. And I, I, it's just mind-boggling that, you know, people don't see it that way. I mean, this whole team is so much better than what they're showing. I mean, they're just, you know, they're hurting themselves through lack of preparation, for one. Lack of understanding of how, you know, where to attack the opponents, where their weakness. And then coming out in games flat as boards and pancakes. It's just so frustrating. And, you know, I mean, it's this is not for lack of personnel. And I said on the Eagles podcast with John Stolnes, you know, I... I felt like the Cardinals were the best team the Eagles, you know, the, had the most talent the Eagles had, have faced thus far. 
Kyle, can you go to their schedule and tell me who they play in the first four games? I mean, I know it was the Jaguars, and my argument there was the Jaguars talent is younger talent, or it's like Car- Cardinals have some older talent like Buda Baker and, and um, J.J. Watt. And, you know, Marquise Brown is now in his fourth year. I mean, we've got some and, – and Zach Ertz and James Conner. we got some veteran pieces, a veteran offensive, offensive line. I mean, who did they have they played? So if you'll recall, the first week of the season, the Eagles played Detroit, and that was that game that they scored like 38 points and the Lions backdoor covered, but they had the lead most of the way. Right. Uh, then they had uh, the Monday night game at home against the Vikings. Right. Then they played Washington, which was that game where they had like 300 yards of offense in the first half, and it was right. 24 to 2 at the end, I think. Um, then they played, of course, the Jaguars, and then they played the Cardinals. And okay. then next week, they play the Cowboys. And next week, I think we'll see what they really got. I got to give them a ton of credit. I mean, their quarterback left everything he had on the field. All 60 minutes, played his tail off with, you know, he's more dialed in right from the get-go, more prepared, more tenacious, more willing to use his mobility, you know, just in more in attack mode, more urgent. Okay. Here's a kid that when he came into the NFL, he wasn't even a first round pick and he had things he had to correct. Now, if you go back, his numbers at Oklahoma were very similar to Kyler's. Very similar. You'd be shocked. Go and look up, look them up for yourself. I mean, they are, they were really good. Um, so it wasn't like he hadn't, you know, done some pretty special things in college. But what well, did- would you like to know Jalen Hurts' stats at Oklahoma during his uh, season in which he finished second in the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, go ahead. So it would be over 14 games, a 70% completion percentage for 3,800 yards and 32 touchdowns and eight interceptions uh, and a college passer rating, effective passer rating that season. College passer ratings are different, but his passer rating of 191.2, which was second only to Joe Burrow among power five quarterbacks. And of course, Joe Burrow won the Heisman unanimously that year and Hertz finished second. Right. Yeah. And what were his rushing? totals uh let's find the rushing statistics because i'm sure that puts him uh pretty close to i want to say five thousand yards of offense which is what baker mayfield put up in his heisman season how many yards and how many touchdowns rushing let's see uh kyler had rushing thousand go ahead so rushing statistics he finished with 1,298 yards, 20 rushing touchdowns, and that would be a total for the season if you're adding up all of his uh, yards. That would be 5,080 yards of offense, 52 touchdowns. There you go. I mean, I think Kyler had 1,004 yards um, on his – in, in his season. So, and a b- bunch of like 20 something touchdowns too. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, 
what's so impressive about Hertz is just, you know, I don't know if you heard him after the game when they were like the, the Philly reporters were, you know, telling him, Oh, you know, how's it feel to be five and oh, he said, I don't want to even hear about it. He said, uh, you know, he were talking us record when we were two and five. So I don't want to hear about five and oh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, you know, he knows how to handle the media in a very rough <laughs> neighborhood for media and fans. Um, but, you know, the kid is a baller and he showed it. He laid it out there um, on the line. Um, he led the led the team and both teams in rushing with 61 yards. And how about those two, you know, rug, rugby scrum TDs right up the middle? I mean, that the Cardinals have been – see, that's another thing they prepped so well for because – as the Cardinals have been really good in run defense. That's one thing with Vince. One of the really good things Vance Joseph does, he has an excellent um, short yardage defense against the run. Outstanding. He's got good personnel for it. You know, the Eagles knew that. And they knew Richard Lawrence was out of the game, was not playing in the game. So they figured we're just going to take our all pro center. Look at how he gutted it out. Look at how he, you know, he had the ankle and had to go out of the game and came back and played the second half. Kelsey, I mean, the big kid from Alabama, the right guard came back in after an injury. Um, you know, they really put it all out there in this game. And that's what winning teams do. They sacrifice and, you know, that was a brilliant call to go right up the middle behind Kelsey and for extra measure, you know, push from behind and get Hurts in. Um, so, you know, hats off. To, they were prepared. Their coaches had them prepared. You, when you flick, look at it this way, I mean, in terms of talent and everything, in terms of if the Cardinals have been pre better pre pre prepared, could they, you know, can they lock horns with this team and, and, and win? I, I believe they can with the talent they have. I mean, I don't think there's a huge disparity in talent. And I mean, last yesterday, the Eagles won without missing a beat really with a whole new left side of their offensive line with Driscoll playing tackle and, you know, the left guard being out. Um, it's just a testament to them. They do next man up really well. They're well coached and they've got a really solid roster up and down, but I don't think they're as invincible to use a, a Philly term as uh, their people are making them out to be because of the schedule that Kyler just, um, Kyle just highlighted. I, I don't think that schedule has been nearly as prolific as the Cardinals or, you know, um, formidable as the Cardinals. Well, so, if you'd like a, uh, a comparison point there, the combined record of the Eagles opponents, obviously the Eagles have won every game, so the math changes. They are 10 and 15 on the season as right. a combined record. The opponents of the Arizona Cardinals would be at this point, the Chiefs have the Chiefs have to play an extra game, but the the combined record would be twelve and twelve between Cardinals opponents. Okay, and 
the the Eagles would be ten and fifteen. Well, that's because the the uh, Panthers. You know, yeah, they're the they're the team that drags that down, but just yeah. a little bit. And also, the Rams are two and three, but the Rams are probably a more skilled team than some of the other two and three teams in the league. Yeah, and you just know, just wait. The Rams are going to add personnel. They're going to address this. They're not going to sit by idly. Um, one fan and I were discussing. Uh, you know, one fan um, told me the other day, "Don't be surprised if they make a huge push for Derrick Henry." I'm like, "Oh my god, really?" So, yeah, they'll stay. They'll they'll try to you know. Um, get him in a trade, they'll offer big compensation to the Titans. You know, by the trading deadline, the Titans aren't really, you know, um, looking like a playoff team. They're going to make some some splash move like that, add another offensive lineman via trade, and then get a edge pass rusher, plus get OBJ back. Um you know, they're going to make these moves. You just know they're coming. And will the Cardinals make any moves at all? I don't know. I think the biggest moves they made this offseason, other than re-signing their own, which, and I like the guys they re-signed. So, you know, I mean, that's good. I think they overpaid um, for them. But but they're leaders, and, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's good to have continuity and we can build around – build around these guys. But uh, the real focus of the offseason was gaining compensatory picks. Um, just weird in a Super Bowl year. So um, I, I, don't get me wrong. I like compensatory tick, picks. And if we have them in the draft, it will feel good then. But something's got to be done now. I mean, I think that, that we have to Cardinals really have to consider adding another defensive tackle, just as we've been saying for over a year now. I think that that's it. Um, I want to see our young edge rushers before we decide on adding an edge player. Who knows? My Jay Sanders might be just great and just what we need. I mean, you know, I mean, he looks the part in preseason. He's not an outside linebacker. I'll tell you that right now. You don't play him out in space. Put him on the edge and rush him. Um, and Cameron Thomas is a bull rusher. He should get his spots. I think I like him as an interior rusher too at times, like he did at San Diego State. Um, you know, get these young guys involved and put Gardeck on the edge and rush him. He's a blur, and you need that. You need that against, you know, um, the, these good quarterbacks. can use it against Geno Smith, who, by the way, is far and above – having the best year as a quarterback in the NFC West. I mean, he is crushing it and making the Seahawks look brilliant for trading Russell Wilson. You know, I mean, hats off to Geno Smith. Wow. So, you know, the Cardinals have, you know, a big task ahead of them. They're going to have to, and the Seahawks have good balance too. Uh, their kid Walker went for a 65-yard touchdown yesterday. Um, the running back Walker, you know, and they've, they've got good running backs. They've got, and their offensive line is young and improving, and they've got an outstanding trio of wide receivers. Um, and, of course, DK Metcalf, 
Tyler Lockett, who had a huge day yesterday, two big touchdowns, deep touchdowns. And then uh, Eskridge, they got him. Um, make a uh, Marquise Goodwin, speedster. So and the Noah Font, the tight end they picked up from the from the uh, Broncos. So I mean, this game is uh, is going to be a, a doozy, and they're going to have the Cardinals going to need to be prepared. Um, even you know as much better than they've been so far. So finishing out with special teams. Um, it's a great call again by Ro- Jeff Rogers uh, to, you know, the the uh, fake punt. Um, it's just I felt so bad for Matt Amendola um, because of the way the Fox telecast had his misses in pregame all queued up, and he kicked it just the same way, um, you know. Looked like again, like Matt Prater's miss uh, in the first game. Looked like Buffalo Wild Wings starting out in the middle, and then like this gust of wind. And I'm wondering if that has maybe a little something to do with the Cardinals' slippery turf. And yes, it is an issue. I'm sorry. I know so many fans are adamant. Oh, it's a grass field, so it's going to be slip. It doesn't have to be that kind of slip slippery. It just really doesn't. And game after game, it just shows up. And, um, you know, I'm not sure it's causing the kickers to worry about their plant foot and how secure that's going to be. I don't know. But what I do know is, and I tweeted this out last night too, is that last week I made another impassioned plea for the Cardinals to sign Matt McCrane. Um, and, you know, in my tweet, I said, you know, here's a kid who has never missed a kick in his stints with the Cardinals. Um, in fact, let me, let me share this with you. Okay. Matt McCrane in preseason, um, when he was, uh, competing against Phil Dawson, four for four field goals, 28 yards, 53 yards, 54 yards against the Cowboys on national TV, 36 yards, four for four, three for three extra points. When he was called back for one game to fill in for Dawson, um, he didn't get any field goal chances, but he was three for three. So with the Cardinals, he's 10 for 10 with two kicks over 50 yards. And, you know, like I said in my tweet, leave it up to leave it to the Cardinals to argue with perfection. Um, you know, when McCrane played for the Raiders, he won a game ball, a game winner. He won a game ball when he played for the Steelers, a game winner. He missed He had a rough little patch there with the Raiders when he was kicking in that one game off the infield dirt at, um, you know, at uh, the Oakland Coliseum. And one was a 55-yarder into the win that he missed. But then after that, he if you watched him in the New York guardians and the XFL playing in February, late, you know, February into March in the frozen winds at the Meadowlands going eight for eight in field goals. Two of them were over 50 yards was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. 
But if you know kickers and you understand kick paths, I mean, I what I love about McCrane is how he can duplicate it. His fundamentals are outstanding, and it gives you – it's like a golf swing. If you can get it on plane consistently, you can get it down the middle. And this is a kid who can do that. He's been training with Mike Nugent out in San Diego in uh, Little Rock's backyard. Um, so I wish that uh, – they could make a phone call to Matt McCrane. I'm going to, again, you know, um, pitch it on Revenge of the Birds. I think he's a great fit, and I like his chances if they get him in there. I don't know how long Prater's going to be out. It's a hip issue for a kicker. doesn't sound like auspicious. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen with that. But in terms of personnel, I wish the Cardinals would make understand the mistakes they made and they were glaring um you know in this game with Hassan Reddick imagine how different this team would be with Reddick rushing from our edges um right now um you know here's where the Cardinals can learn is that you know they chose to keep a combination of Marcus Goldman Golden and Chandler Jones I mean, Golden, they were hardly paying anything, so it was a bargain for, for keeping him. Right now, Marcus Golden does not seem to be this his, his same self. I don't know what's going on there. But at some point, when you're in your 30s, you're hitting a wall. I mean, to my knowledge, Kyle, can you look up if Chandler Jones has a sack yet? I know up until this week he did not. Oh, and they're playing tonight, right? So, yes, yeah, they he, play tonight yeah, uh, against Kansas City. Yeah, let's keep an eye on him tonight. I mean, he does not have a sack yet for the for the one and three Raiders. So you are correct. So he has uh, four unassisted tackles, eight combined tackles, and zero sacks on the season. Yeah, and Raider fans are restless already. So you get the and, and the thing is, the writing was on the signs were there. I mean, he was. You know, he only played in five games the season before. He did not look him say like the same Chandler Jones in those five games. And yet, you know, you decide, all right, we're, we're going to pay him a $15.5 million on top of the, you know, his bonus had already been paid. So that they could have saved, that easily could have signed Hassan Reddick with, probably with, with a few million to, to spare. And it's just so agonizing. And it just go back to Phil Dawson. I mean, the guy's a Hall of Fame kicker. But he was on the tail end of his career trying to live between Texas and Arizona in sort of no man's land. And the year before, he had struggled. And in that preseason, while Matt McCrane was going eight for eight, I mean, 10 for 10, he was missing kicks. And then it carried over into the season. He had one of his worst seasons as a pro. I mean, you love the Hall of Fame career. And at the same time, you're paying him, you know, top three money for a kicker in the NFL and spending the, that portion of the salary cap on that. There's a time to move on when you've got, like right now, I mean, you've got Marcus Golden and you've got Devin Kennard on the edges not doing much for you. How about putting in the the young guys i mean what would be galling to me is to make a huge trade and give up all sorts of draft capital when you've just drafted four edge players in the last two years 
and you're not even using them. You're not even trying them out yet. And then we're going to hear later on when MyJ Sanders gets his first sack, some coach will say, yeah, he's been crushing it in practice. We just didn't know whether it would carry over into a game. Oh, my God, if we ever hear that again. Um, so, you know, you got to try these young guys, you know, get them in there. I mean, it's not going to hurt. And, you know, it could be a real boon. Plus, Jesse Licata. Kid's tough as nails. I mean, you've got, you know, Victor Demikije. I mean, who had a great preseason. I haven't seen him show up like that yet. But who knows? I mean, we showed he had it in him. And then want to see MyJ Sanders and Cam Thomas. and Want to see Dennis Gardeck on that edge. I mean, I thought, and the one consolation for me with Reddick was that I thought peeking down the line, they thought they could get as much or more out of Gardeck. And I think, you know, this, I could see why, because of how impactful Gardeck was when he was rushing when Jones was out. But now they won't rush him as much. And they're not playing him many snaps to begin with either. It's just so frustrating. So, uh, but, you know, get guys in these spots and get them going. Um, please tap into the youthful energy of this, of this team. And, and um, you know, and, and plus the experiment with these, you know, Ben Neiman and Nick Vigil and, you know, I'd rather have Zeke Turner in there. I mean, he's more physical. Um, I'd love this kid Chandler Wooten. I mean, this these are valuable times in which you could be playing younger players who are more aggressive and more physical. I mean, so personnel-wise, I think the Cardinals would really do themselves a favor if they tapped into this young talent that they have and, and really, you know, um, give them their opportunities. So you don't have to triple down on, you know, you invest four draft picks plus re-sign Gardeck to a three-year deal and Golden to a two, an, another year extension only to turn around and give up major draft capital to get like a Robert Quinn in here. That just sets the team back. I mean, you know, I love Robert Quinn, don't get me wrong, but he too is showing signs of age. Um, I think the answer is let's get some, these young guys going. And, you know, and Vance dials up some good. That was a great blitz he threw with Murphy and Baker. He's, he's got some good blitz packages when the other team doesn't know they're coming. And so, you know, but that's, that's where personnel-wise, I'd love to see them tap more into their own homegrown talent and develop these kids Look what happens when you play Isaiah Simmons' extended snaps. Leads the team in tackles. I mean, the amazing thing was he didn't even start the game. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. They didn't give him a start. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. Again, um, how often am I going to say mind-boggling? Sorry, I'm getting redundant myself. But, but anyway, um, you know, going up to Seattle, Lumen Field, it's going to be an interesting game and uh, Cardinals need to be ready. And there needs to be a sense of urgency that we have not seen yet from this team, you know, 
especially coming out of the gates and playing for 60 minutes. And hopefully this was a wake up call to get them off the schneid at home. Of course, the next opponent at home we'll talk about next week is no slouch either. So, but, um, we got uh, a big one up this contest up in Seattle and um, be really nice. Um, and last thing is this. I mean, you've probably seen Justin Pugh's outburst to the media um, when they were asking Matt Amendola about how and why he thought he missed the kicks. And Pugh came in there. And I've always really liked Justin Pugh and his, his leadership. And he was being emphatic about it. it's not just one guy. Um, you know, he said, I missed the tackle. Other people, you know, missed their assignments or had a bad play. You know, he missed one kick. It is what it is. It's not on one guy. And he also said, and it's not on one guy who isn't here. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, I keep hearing everybody saying, oh, like, everything's going to change when DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Now the good news is Hopkins is back in the building and providing energy. And I really thought he handled the preseason about as well as he could have. He really contributed, made his presence felt, um, practice hard, did help the defense in that way. I mean, I'm really optimistic about what he can do to when he comes back, but he is not a panacea for what's going wrong with the Cardinals right now. I mean, to think that way is just a fool's errand. I mean, yeah, it would be a, a bump, but but also, you know, you have to assimilate him back in, get him in football shape. It's going to take some time, probably. Maybe not. Maybe he just steps right in and he's his old self. But, um, but you know, th there's a lot of work this team needs to do, and it's going to start with preparation, better preparation and practices, and getting guys, you know, um, to practice and playing together and, you know, um, and digging in on the opponent. So, yeah, it's frustrating. I, the, the thing is, on a good note, the, the Cardinals did a lot of good things in that game yesterday, which, which I don't want to, because of frustration, overlook. I mean, they held the Eagles to six points after the 14-0 deficit. That was awesome. They held them to six points in that second half. Unfortunately, the Cardinals only scored ten, seven points in the second half and lost by three. Um, you know, unfortunately, the Cardinals got another goose egg in the th third quarter. They, you know, and that that was big for the Eagles and, and you know some real missed opportunities for the Cardinals. But you know, in certain respects, certain aspects of the of the offense got going. I mean, you know, um, Eno was a bright spot for sure. I mean, and Marquise is having one of the best, you know, seasons so far for a wide receiver. Well, they did get Rondale more on track. Zach Ertz probably could have had a better game if, you know, they missed him four times. They caught six balls on ten targets. It could have been better. Um, AJ Green made a contribution, three catches for 20 yards as kind of a possession guy. Um, you know, James Conner was looking really good. He has 6.1 average, 55 yards. 
the longest 17 until the injury. So that was unfortunate. And, um, so, but a lot of good things going on there. Murray settled in and, you know, made some good plays, but he did not. It, it's kind of like Murray has games circled against certain teams and he's just not going to run. And um, people are blaming Cliff on that. And it's a common, it, it's all both, you know, they agree to what's going on. So you have, both are, you know, responsible, put it that way. So, and the talk of the NFL now is imagine Kyler Murray in a Shanahan or Sean McVay type offense. And I will say this, and the podcast on this, if you watch the London game, and I tweeted this out um, with Brian Dayball, a guy I was touting for head coach back, back when, um, I really love particularly the job he did with, with uh, Josh Allen in Buffalo. And look at the job he's doing with Daniel Jones. If you saw that game, I wrote this out on Twitter. I saw more bootlegs, waggles, sprint outs, play actions, scrambles out of Daniel Jones in one game than I've seen in Kyler Murray in five. And that is just preposterous to me. You've got this elite athlete. You know, you have a myriad of ways to take advantage of his elite feet. Not just running, but setting up, you know, clear, clear passing lanes and hard, you know, moving away from pockets instead of keeping him stationary in one for so, you know, 95% of the time. I mean, there's so many creative things you can do with Kyler Murray. And whether it's his resistance to doing those things, which I think is, is part of this or Cliff's, you know, willingness to be the chameleon and just let Kyler do what Kyler wants. It's just unfortunate. And, um, that we don't have a better plan for this guy who's, you know, like when, what, uh, Cliff said, you know, when Kyler's doing his thing is, you know, and is at the top of his game, it's, he's as good as anybody and I think that's true the problem is um, how much are you doing to get him at the top of his game and I think schematically right now the offense is not doing that and and I don't and and you know emotionally I mean Kyler looks flat coming out of the games he looks numb he does not look psyched he does not look like he has a sense of urgency. Like, I'm just going to take control of this game right from the start. And for somebody who's, you know, um, the team has invested so heavily in, that's a concern um, and something that needs to be addressed, whether it means you've got to get a new head coach in here. Um, I don't know. Um, but right now, if this continues, something's got to be done because it's just a total waste of talent and, not total waste, but it's it's a um, it's just too much of a waste of talent. Uh, I was saying the other day was watching the Cardinals first. You know, yesterday I tweeted out watching the Cardinals in the first quarter is like watching Aaron Judge bunt. You know, imagine playing good, playing paying good money to go to Yankee Stadium and Judge is bunting all game, or at least in the first two at bats. It's just like, what the frick? I mean, Kyler should be doing Kyler things right from the start. 
And uh, unfortunately, that's not happening. It's something that's got to change. And so far, there's no indication whatsoever to think that it will um, from these coaches and from Kyler himself. So that hopefully we see a whole different approach up in Seattle. Um, it will be huge timing to do that. Cardinals are 0-1 in the division. They need to square that up. And, you know, the Seahawks are playing good ball. And it's going to be a, a real task. So um, let's keep our eyes on that. Let's keep our hope. Like I said, the Cardinals did a lot of good things in this game defensively. They got a great effort from Isaiah Simmons and Zach Allen and J.J. Watt. And Byron Murphy stood out. So we got pieces, and hopefully they'll, they'll straighten this out and get some real keen – game plans going um, because it's going to be timely to do that. So on behalf of Kyle Edbetter, um, it's going to have a fun week following his Padres and I will be rooting for them as well um, because I'm a Bob Melvin fan. I'm an A's fan and I owe it to Bob Melvin um, for his years of good managing with the A's, making, getting the most out of the little to think that Bob Melvin nearly had Kyler Murray. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> First round pick years ago. Um, yeah. Before yeah. we head out, we've got some uh, Arizona Cardinals breaking news coming into the show. Okay. Matt Rule got fired by the Carolina Panthers while we were recording this show. And uh, former Cardinals headman Steve Wilkes is going to be the interim coach for the remainder of the season. Oh, wow. He's on that staff, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the, um, I think, secondary coach and I think defensive pass game coordinator, but yes, he'll be the interim coach for the last 12 games of the season. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, That feels good. I hope he he does well with that. And uh, I think he's a quality guy and I don't think he's a bad defensive coach at all. I think he came into a hornet's nest in Arizona to tell you the truth and the big, the big BA hangover. And, um, you know, he, he could have done things a lot better, but as a first-year head coach, you're going to make mistakes. But Wilkes is a solid guy. He's a dedicated guy. And, you know, he tried to go back to college and he's trying to find his way. So this is a reprieve of sorts and gives him an added chance. And you know what? Um, that Panthers roster is not too shabby. It'll be interesting to see what he does at the quarterback position. I think they probably have to go back to Donald. Um, and um, but uh, wow, well, thanks for for um, adding that in. And um, I wish him the best, Steve Wilkes. So, but on behalf of Kyle and for myself, really appreciate your you know continued support. And um, um, the numbers have been great and the participation from you guys has been has been awesome and i really appreciate it and i hope that this is a good week for everyone and that we can get things back on track up in seattle but in the interim you know and hoping the next time we finally get this straightened out at home the red rain will shower down on you and all of us into the red red sea red rain